Well, this is a lesson, believe it or not, 38. Uh, it's hard to believe that I'm actually here preaching lesson 38, which just may represent my last lesson on the book of Revelation. So uh, probably at least 30 hours of teaching. I was talking to some folk before service. I think I'm going to put this into a book. But I've got a lot of uh, work to do to do that. But uh, it's just on my heart because, y'all, this is, this is where we're living right now. How many know Jesus is coming back? And it really does look like we are the generation is going to see the king return. Uh, revelation, the Greek word for uh, revelation is the word apocalypsis. We get our word apocalypse from that. And it literally means an unveiling. So, again, I don't want to go too far in the weeds. I've talked about this so much all this time. But John was, uh, was banished to the Isle of Patmos for preaching the word of God. Domitian did not like him, who was a Roman emperor, and uh, did not like him at all. And... And so they just banished him to this island. And crazy thing was, John knew Jesus in his earth walk. And then Jesus appears to John in all of his splendor and glory in Revelation chapter 1 and shows him the panorama, a panoramic view of what will occur uh, in our future. And, and I, I just can't tell you how much fun I've had. It's been a lot of work for me. I've, in fact, I haven't seen staff team. I love y'all, but I ain't seen y'all the last couple of days. I've been studying this. Uh, but I have just enjoyed being with the Lord. And um, I can't tell you what it's done to my heart to, uh, to study through this book and, and read these truths. And, and the main thing I get out of it is that um, God loves us so much. If you ever feel unloved, you've got to know that the God of the universe may be so large, but He loves you so intimately. Isn't that awesome? That's the main thing I got out of it. And if I go much further, I'll keep weeping. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, J.B. Phillips translates this. It's a 1958 translation of the New Testament by a guy named J.B. Phillips. I came across this many years ago. It fits so well. The book of Revelation, for God has allowed us to know the secret of his plan. And it is this. He purposes in his sovereign will that all human history should be consummated in Christ. That everything that exists in heaven and earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in him. Isn't that awesome? Then verse 11 says, and here's the staggering thing. That in all which will one day belong to him, we have been promised a share. Did you say we have been promised a share out loud? <laughs> Since we were long ago destined for this by the one who achieves his purposes by his sovereign will, so that we, as the first to put our confidence in Christ, may bring praise to his glory. So God's allowed us to be part of his plan. So the book of Revelation is really an unveiling of what God's going to do to cleanse the earth of all of the contaminants of sin, all of the things that went wrong when Adam and Eve chose to, dis to disobey God's simple word of command to them. And so I mentioned this last week. Let me read it again. This is the context for tonight, for Revelation 22, which we'll look at. I've just simply titled this Eternity. Jesus has returned. The final battles have been won. God's enemies have been subdued. Satan and all his personalities that follow him are in their eternal home, the lake of fire. Every unredeemed human has been judged and every eternal sentence carried out. Those without Christ are in the lake of fire. Believers are in their glorified bodies and now their earth has been transformed into an eternal home for those God created to fellowship with him and to be his friends for eternity. Friends, oh, I can't wait to get there. 
Well, maybe I can, but I'm excited about going there nonetheless. The future of the earth is a hidden mystery that the Bible says, and it will continue to unfold. We just see a glimmer and a glimpse of the future that God showed John while he was on that island, banished for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 again reveals uh, this is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10 says, but God has revealed them to us by his spirit. And we have a simple, small glimpse into eternity in the book of Revelation, uh, particularly chapters 21 and 22, when God recreates the uh, heavens and the earth. And, and we looked, or we've looked at the last couple of lessons, Revelation 21, uh, God recreates, he gives us a new heavens and a new earth, much like we become new creatures in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, what is he? Her? A new creature. Old things pass away. All things become new. See, that's what happens to the earth when it's renewed. It's the same earth. It's perhaps the same dirt, but it's a new form. And all of the sin elements and contaminants have been removed. And then there's a new, a new heavens, that is the atmospheric heavens uh, that create the atmosphere over the earth. It changes uh, the principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places, which have, which have basically created a cloud canopy of darkness and evil and, and sin and malevolent darkness um, have been removed uh, from that atmosphere around the earth. And it's a new heavens that's been renewed. It contains, it, it will be a place where the glory of God is manifest on a continual basis. Right now, we have to fight through the darkness. We have to fight through the doubt, the unbelief, the fear uh, that, that is so prevalent worldwide. We fight it with our faith. We fight it with our words and we stand our ground in Jesus' name. How many hear me? But there'll come a day all the resistances have been removed. Won't that be exciting? And then there'll be a, a new heavens, a new earth where the Bible says wherein dwells righteousness. So we've talked about that. Revelation 21, the latter part of Revelation 21, the bride of Christ shows up. The bride of Christ is literally uh, a, a city called Jerusalem. We'll look at it again tonight that, that uh, has been in heaven for a long, long time. I have read, I've got a, a book in my possession uh, written, uh, actually um, edited by Gordon Lindsay, who started Christ for the Nation's Bible Institute in Dallas, Texas. Uh, back in the 70s, uh, he edited the book uh, of a lady in 1854 named Marietta Davis who went into some kind of a strange coma for nine days but came out of that with a new language, a new vision for her life. She was a, a, a really um, backwards kind of personality, wouldn't talk to people, but she spoke in the eloquence of a poet and indescribable things. She went to heaven. She went to the literal place where God lives now. And, and she actually, and I was reading part of that book because uh, I was getting ready for tonight. She actually went into the city that we're going to talk about tonight. And we talked about last time, that new Jerusalem. The new, and, and talked about how beautiful it is. I, I don't know if you realize, you might like your house. It is not to be compared with what God's got for you in heaven. Did you hear what I just said? Now, let me just say this. You're not going to have individual mansions. 
that word mansions in John 14. In my, in my uh, father's house are many mansions. That's uh, planes of existence, dwellings, places to live. Heaven is a temporary holding place uh, for the believers who die before Jesus returns and before the millennial reign of Christ, before the new heavens and new earth. But the scriptures reveal we're not going to live in heaven for eternity. We're coming and we're going to live in the, in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem, in the bride of Christ. Is that exciting? So we've talked in, uh, last time about the fact that, and the time before that the bride of Christ literally is the new Jerusalem. Calls it the bride of Christ because a husband takes care of his bride. God will take care of us in the same, in the same way. He will take care of, of every desire. They will nothing, no detail will be left out. You will be fully loved, fully cared for, fully provided for. You will be nothing but full and you will be at such rest and you'll be that way for eternity. Are you excited about that? And so again, we talked about that in Revelation 21. Now I want to continue that. And then the latter part of Revelation 21, he gives the dimensions of the city. Uh, this, this new Jerusalem has been in heaven for a long, long time. Uh, basically 1,500 mile cube, just an incredible place uh, with just beautiful decor, beautiful gates, beautiful foundations made out of all kind of costly jewels. It looks gold when you look at it. It's clear and transparent. It's a, it's a, a nuts beautiful place. So uh, Revelation 21 gives us the dimensions of that. We talked about that last time, but the thing I want to draw your attention to as we go into Revelation 22 uh, is in Revelation 21.9 an angel actually appeared to John while he was on Patmos and said I want to show you the bride the lamb's wife which is the new Jerusalem and that's Revelation 21.9 uh, the one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues one of those angels that was part of the angels that ditched out the seven bowl judgments he came and said, come, I want to show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he's still talking in Revelation 22.1. It's just a continuation of Revelation Revelation 22.1. It's a continuation of Revelation 21. So look right here at Revelation 22.1. Everybody with me? My notes are online at victorychurchraleigh.com. You can follow me. I don't know how far I'll be able to go with all the scripture I have there because there's a lot. But he says here, this is New King James, and he showed me, this angel, showed me a pure river of the water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of, of the nations. Now, the first thing you got to know about this. Now, now, look at me. Everybody look at me. This is crazy. The whole reason that Jesus came was to put us back in the place we were at with God before Adam and Eve ever sinned. Did you hear that? The whole reason he came, as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. The whole reason Jesus came was to bring us back to the place we had with the Father 
before the first man, Adam, or the first woman, Eve, chose to sin. And here's the really cool thing. As it, watch this, as it was in the Garden of Eden, so it will be in the New Jerusalem. I want you to see the parallels tonight. After sin, Adam and Eve, uh, after they sinned, the world had, has gone through six millennia, perhaps, of sin, sickness, poverty, adversity, war, pain, death. And, and now, Revelation 21, uh, 2, 1, uh, a new Garden of Eden is created as a new home for God's family in eternity. And it's, it's, it's even better than, than, than God had given them in the Garden of Eden. This is the consummation of redemption. At the beginning, uh, in the Garden of Eden, at the beginning of creation in Genesis 2, I want to read the verbiage because it'll, it'll help make sense out of Revelation 22.1 to you. Listen to Genesis 2, 8-10. through 10. This is New Living Translation. Then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed, somewhere in the Middle East, and there he placed um, the man he had made, the Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. A Holman Christian Standard Bible is a really great study Bible. The notes on that verse say this, When sin entered, the garden and its river were hidden or withdrawn. But when God concludes His redemptive program and brings full salvation to humankind with eternal life through Jesus Christ, the river of eternal life will again flow to provide healing to the earth. Isn't that cool? And, and you know, it, it reminded me, and I put it in the notes of... Uh, Jesus was at one of the Jewish feasts, which I don't have time to get into. I've spoke on it in the past. In John 7, 37, the last day of the feast, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He that believes on me, as the Scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom they that believe on him would receive. The Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So evidently this water that comes from the throne of God, it brings refreshing. And God has given us just a very small taste of that refreshing when you receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit and the ensuing presence of God that comes with it. How many hear me? That's incredible. And this river, there's going to be a river in heaven that flows from the throne of God. Again, the throne of God will not be in heaven. It will be in the New Jerusalem which is called the bride of Christ, God's throne will be there. And a river will literally flow from God's throne, from His presence, which it obviously contains stuff from Him. And it flows out into the city. And it waters the city. And any, I guess anybody can go take a dip in that water anytime they want to. How cool is that? Now, the cool thing is uh, 25, 2600 years ago, Ezekiel had a vision and he saw this. He saw what John saw. Listen to this real quickly. Is everybody okay? Ezekiel 47, 1. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. Then I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gate, led me around the eastern entrance. Then I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. He, he was in that New Jerusalem, y'all. 
This is where he was. That's the temple of God in eternity. And they skip down and then he talks about, you know, going out in the river and it gets deeper, deeper, deeper. Verse 7, when I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. And then it talks about fishermen being able to fish in different places. And then verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall and there will always be fruit on the branches. There will be a new crop every month for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be food and the leaves for healing. Isn't that cool? I mean, Ezekiel saw that 2,600 years ago. That's incredible. He saw it 600 years before uh, uh, or seven, yeah, yeah, 600 years before uh, John saw it. J- just incredible. So again, there's a river flowing. That's significant as it was in the Garden of Eden. This is the new Garden of Eden, as it were. Verse 2, in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. Now, Bible expositors say there's 12 fruits, 12 different kinds of fruit. So there's different fruit on the trees and, um, and obviously for the nourishment of the human. Then it says the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there's a lot. Let me unpack that just a little bit. Again, this tree of life appears. It was in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 2. Here it is again. Listen to Genesis 2 again. Let's read it again. Then the Lord God planted a garden in the east, Eden in the east, and there he placed The man he made, the Lord God, made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful, that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is, uh, is, we have no record that it's going to be in the New Jerusalem. It was a test for that time period when God first created man. God gave us something very unique and, and very precious to him. And it's called free will. God wanted us to be able to exercise our free will and love him not because we had to, but because we wanted to. He didn't want us to love him by instinct. You know, uh, dogs, I know you love your dog, I get it. But it's a lot of instinct. And animals have different dispositions according to the instinctive nature that God placed in them. There are domesticated animals and non-domesticated animals and uh, we enjoy the domesticated ones because they love to be around us. And so, again, here, the tree of the knowledge. But, but animals love us a lot because of uh, it's just intuition. It's just in them to do so. But see, God wanted us to love him freely, hence the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But it won't be in the New Jerusalem. What is there is that tree of life. Uh, and so after Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the garden. And I want you to remember again, I'm sure you've read this many times, but Genesis 3, 22, after Adam and Eve has sinned, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now let us put out his, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, eat and live forever. 
So there, there was something in the substance of that tree of life that would affect the human body and give it longevity. And God, God didn't want that to happen as you continue to read verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man. Then it says, And he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard uh, to the uh, to guard the way to the tree of life. So uh, most Bible expositors say that the Garden of Eden was probably there until the flood of Noah. Nobody could enter it. You couldn't gain entrance because of the cherubim that they were there to guard it. But evidently when the flood came, that tree uh, obviously was uh, demolished and it did not grow back in the fallen earth that had been cursed. So again, he had to guard them from that tree of life because its properties um, evidently renewed physical life on and on and on again. Uh, Genesis Finning's Dake in his Dake's study Bible talks about the healing of the nations. Revelation 22, 1, he has a quote here, preservation of life uh, for the natural earthly nations as well as for the resurrected saints come from the, the leaves of this tree. It says there will be no sickness, so no healing from disease, but eternal health and life will come from the leaves of the trees. Then he went on to say, there must have been an inherent virtue in the tree of life to preserve life indefinitely if man was created to live forever should he not sin. Uh, then he lost his eternal life in the fall, Adam and Eve did. Christ came back, uh, brings eternal life back to us, 2 Timothy 1.10. The tree of life would have caused even sinful man to live forever physically. So, Evidently, again, there are properties in the leaves on the tree of life that cause life, a physical life renewal. And then don't forget this, and you got to wrap, and I got to say these things over, some of these over and over again, but people don't realize that in eternity. For what Jesus did on the cross to be better than what God started and what Adam gave away, it has to at least include what we had to begin with. Do you get that? So before Adam and Eve sinned, they were, were to be in perpetuity, families, marriage, husbands, wives, children, generations of people on the earth. And they were to live forever here. And the tree of life was here. And we were, gonna, we were supposed to partake of the tree of life and, and just keep living. And our bodies just keep renewing themselves. But when Adam and Eve sinned, that all failed and that all stopped. But here's the skinny. So, so for what Jesus did to be at least equal or better than it's got to include that so and let me say it i've said it many times but see i have to say it because you might have heard it but you didn't hear it so there's going to be a group of people that go through the seven years of what people typically call the tribulation or daniel's 70th week there'll be natural people that survive that hellish time and they will go into the 1000 year reign of christ we call that the millennial reign of christ the millennium They'll live through the thousand-year reign of Christ. Those families, people will have babies in the millennial reign of Christ. There will be two kinds of people here. There will be saints in glorified bodies, that just like Jesus had when he was resurrected from death. And then, that, So there will be a group of people like that. There will be a, a ruling class of people. We'll have uh, new, renewed powers and new powers of locomotion. Uh, we can perhaps travel at the speed of thought. We can in an instant, disappear, reappear somewhere else. Lots of things in Scripture that talk about that. 
Uh, Enoch was not, for God took him. Uh, Philip uh, traveled 20 miles to preach to a, a young man in Ethiopia, and he was there in an instant. So, so uh, I'm, I'm excited about the physics that will be available in the new heavens and new earth. Excited about seeing how all that locomotion is going to work nonetheless. Nonetheless, there'll be uh, groups of people that will be here in eternity that come through the seven years tribulation, that come through the millennial reign of Christ, that will be here when the earth is renewed in Revelation 21.1, and that will be here in Revelation 22.1 when the new Jerusalem has come down. The bride of Christ is here. We're going into the new Jerusalem, and we're living there with God. There will be families on earth of natural people that will come to Jerusalem pick the trees off the tree of life. They'll be on either side of a river that comes from the throne of God. The throne of God will be in the New Jerusalem. You'll live in the city where the throne of God is. Is that cool? You ever thought about that? Most people don't take time to think about it now, but it's true. It's crazy. Those trees are going to be either side of the river, and then the nations come, and they just partake of the fruit of the tree of life, and they partake of the leaves and there's something in the substance of those leaves we've learned about phytochemicals and the phytonutrients that are available in in the green vegetation the different colored vegetations that we eat today that revitalize our bodies and do uh, and do away with the oxidation that happens when you when you burn oxygen and burn your food and it causes a depletion in our bodies well something's going on with this tree and it renews us isn't that cool so anyway, I just wanted you to be aware the leaves of the trees are for the healing. Actually, that word healing is the, where we get the uh, word therapy. They're therapeutic for the constant renewal of health for the peoples on earth that will be here in eternity. Is that cool or not? Y'all are quiet. Isn't that crazy? You probably never heard this before. Revelation 22, 3. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him. So the throne of God will be in the New Jerusalem. The throne where Jesus sits, the chair he sits on will be in the New Jerusalem. Remember the curse came when Adam and Eve chose to sin, Genesis 3, 17. Then Adam said, uh, then he said to Adam, God said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed be the ground for your sake and toil. You will eat of it all the days of your life, both thorn and thistle it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field and the sweat of your face. You shall eat till bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust to dust you will return. That is the curse that was placed on the earth uh, at the original sin of Adam and Eve. And perhaps, and I mentioned this, couple of lessons ago but perhaps second peter 3 gives us some light as to how that curse is removed from the earth let me again read it to you this is um the uh, bible in basic english second peter 3 10 the day of the lord will come like a thief and in that day the heavens will be rolled up with a great noise that is the atmospheric heavens and the substance of the earth will be changed by violent heat did you hear what i just said the substance of the earth will be changed by violent heat and the world and everything in it will be burned up. That's so the contaminated elements that are here will be removed. I think it'll be renovated by that fire. And I think it's, it's clearly stated there in Second Peter 3.10. Seeing then that all these things are coming to such an end, verse 11, what sort of persons 
um, is, it, is it right for you to be in all holy behavior and righteousness looking for, truly desiring the t- coming day of God when the heavens will come to an end through fire and the substance of the earth will be changed by the great heat, it says in the Bible in basic English. So again, that's when that curse evidently is removed and uh, the Bible knowledge uh, commentary says this, as if to remind the reader that healing as such is not necessary. John adds, no longer will there be any curse as the curse of Adam's sin led to illness requiring health and death. So in the eternal state, there will be no curse. Therefore, no healing of illness is necessary. You imagine humans with no sickness, no hospitals, and because there's no lying and no stealing, no keys. Won't that be cool? Anyway, Revelation 22, 4, they shall see his face and his name shall be on their forehead. So the name on the forehead in antiquity denotes ownership. Again, here's a quote from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. In the ancient world, a mark on the forehead gives the Greek word normally involves a master-slave relationship. Uh, Seal is another similar word. Such markings were used to signify tribal identity, ownership, or loyalty to a deity closely associated with ownership. So again, when it said God's, uh, uh, his name is on our heads, it just means that we're his and he's promised like a husband to a wife to deeply take care of us. I've got a number of scripture that relate the same thing, that his name is on our foreheads. That's throughout the book of Revelation. Revelation 22, 5, there shall be no night there. Uh, They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now, I was reading this today. I just got a glimpse. Uh, You remember when Moses was on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days, and and, uh, he he didn't eat anything. He didn't even say he drank anything. He was supernaturally sustained by the presence of God. And the presence of God is a materiality. It's a substance. It contains some kind of a materiality such that you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that when, uh, and, and it's, it's in Exodus there in 32, 33, that when Moses came down from the mountain, he had to put a veil, he had to put a cover on his face because his face, the skin of his face glowed. Can you imagine a being that's so pure, so iridescent, that if you get in front of him, you glow? What? Can you imagine that? That's incredible. Moses had to cover his face. Everybody said, I can't look at you. And we're going to live in a city where God actually becomes the light of the city. His visage lights it up. Now, I mentioned last week, if, if you've never been in the true raw presence of God, there's no human way to describe what it's like. It, it, um, it, it goes into every cell, it feels like it goes into every cell of your body and grabs you and undoes you. And any dark in you, it reveals. It, it's the craziest thing. I've had a little glimmer of it. And uh, I, don't, I don't like to use the word scary, maybe awesome. Maybe, and will you overuse that word? You get into that city, it's going to be a, a wonderful thing. And maybe we'll all be glowing lights. Who knows? Because he'll be there. Won't that be great? Anyway, uh, Revelation 21, I saw no temple in it. Mentions this again, that God is the light source of eternity for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or its temple. The city had no need of the sun, the moon to shine in it, 
for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The nations of those who were saved walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. So the kings of the earth, you mean they're going to be nations? Yes, they're going to be nations. They're going to be people groups. Uh, they're going to be the ethnicities just like we have now. They're going to be in eternity, y'all. Isn't it cool? And we're all going to get along together because the devil won't be here. It says, The kings of the earth brought their glory and honor into it. The gates were never shut by day and night. There shall be no night there. They shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. So again, uh, verse 5 again says, And, and they, God will light it and they will reign forever and ever. It says there will be no night, no need for the lamp, the light of the sun. The Lord God gives them light and they will reign forever and ever. I'm not going to go through the scripture. There's about seven of them here that reveal the fact that you're not going to be drinking sweet tea, you know, just sitting on a, you know, sitting on your favorite hammock and just whiling the time away listening to violin music and uh, with a halo on your head. You're going to be busy in, in eternity. I, I don't know if you understand. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're going to be busy. It's the will of God that mankind be productive. You want a miserable person? It's a person that's not doing anything. Yes or no? Why was last year so hard? They told you to stay at home. And we're not made to stay at home. We're made to get outside and enjoy the big blue sky. Enjoy each other and be productive. Yes or no? Well, it is. Are you going to be any different in eternity? Humans are going to be human in eternity. And one part of the human psyche and the human personality is productivity. We're going to be that way in eternity, minus the sin. You won't do anything for yourself. You'll only do that which benefits others. But you'll be busy, and God will make sure that you're busy. Isn't that cool? I don't know about you. I, I never plan to retire. I'll go from preaching right into the, the, the gates of glory, and I'll be glad to do it. And I'll be, I'm really glad to know that in eternity I, have, I don't have to do nothing. I get to do something. Aren't you glad? You're going to be ruling and reigning. We've got a lot of scripture about it, Revelation 22, 6 and 7, that he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must take place. Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. He said the same thing basically in Revelation 1, 3 at the beginning of the book. says the same thing at the end of the book. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and keep those things which are written for the time is yet. How many know God watches over his word to perform it? Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth, excuse me, will pass away. They'll change. But my words will never pass away or change, right? So Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I'm your fellow servant and of your brother and the prophets and those who keep the words of this book worship God. John mistakenly for the second time in the last couple of chapters wanted to bow down before an angel. The angel said, don't do it. He said it again. Revelation 19.10, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you don't do that. I'm your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, how many know there are angels in the room right now? How many know there's an angel in the room when you sleep at night? How many know just because you grow up, the angels that behold the face of children, nothing in the Bible says they leave and go somewhere else? 
you have guardian angels. They're huge. I've never seen mine. I, you know, when I was a little boy, uh, I'll confess, uh, I, I was going to church with mom and daddy. I said, God, I love seeing angels. And I was always afraid to go into the, into the um, auditorium of the Baptist church we attended because I was afraid an angel would be in there. I'm not kidding. But, you know, you don't have to be afraid of them. However, you'll find they generally won't appear and they won't make themselves known. In fact, Hebrews chapter uh, 13 says many of us have uh, entertained angels without being aware of it because they can manifest in human form. You remember in Sodom and Gomorrah before God destroyed those cities because of their sexual immorality, he sent angels to warn Lot and they came in human form. In fact, they were so human that the, the nasty humans in Sodom wanted to have sex with the angels. And Lot, you remember that? Lot offered his, his pure virgin daughters, said, please, waste my daughters, but not these men. Now, that's an awful thing to consider. God's going to have to apologize to Sodom if he doesn't judge the sins in America. Did you hear what I just said? I'm not the first one to say that, but it's really true. So nonetheless, these angels, they can take human form. And uh, they don't reveal themselves. And John saw that. When you saw John's first thing was to bow down. They're they're amazing beings. And I've talked to people who have seen angels. I've never seen one and don't really want to. You know, because Jesus said, blessed are they that have not seen yet believe. I don't need to see Jesus to believe in him. I believe what the word says. How about you? He says, I'm blessed if I believe without seeing. You know? So again, Revelation 22, 10 and 11, he said to me, Do not seal the uh, words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. That means it's coming to pass shortly. Well, shortly, 2,000 years has come and gone. So, you know, God's idea of days and time is a little different than ours. But then he says this, watch this. It's still strange, verse 11. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. Uh, He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Why, Why do you say that? Well... God will allow you to do what you want to do even though it may cost you. Even though it may cost you eternity because God holds special the will of man. God will not violate your will unlike demonic forces who pry and force and coerce and demand. Any person that demands from you is never a godly person. It's demonic. A government that makes demands is ungodly government. Yes or no? When you make demands of others, a pastor that demands, a leader that demands, that's not God demanding. That's your flesh and your self-centered human will. No, God will allow you to do what you want to do even if it hurts you. Another way of looking at it, I've got it in my notes, is God will allow people to do what they want to do. And and then here's the skinny. Some people think that silence means acceptance. Silence is never permission in the spiritual realm. When God is silent, you may want to watch out because if he's not talking, that means, as my daddy used to tell me as a little boy, son, your goose is cooked. So if you're doing things that are sin, you're watching me online, you're clicking through stuff, came across me, or you're in the room listening, 
and in your private life, private world that nobody knows, you're doing things you know is wrong, and you can just keep doing it with, 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 with no pause and seems like there's no conviction, you're in an extremely dangerous place. I mean, hear me. Proverbs says a conscienceless person is like a person with anger and without a conscience is like a person that's defenseless and without and like a city in, in the Middle East in Bible days without walls. It had no armament around it. So again, if you can do what you do and it doesn't bother you, that's what he's saying here. Keep doing what you're doing. If you're unjust, stay unjust. If you're filthy, wallow in your filth. If you're righteous, wallow in your righteousness. If you're holy, Wallow in your holiness. I'm going to let you be what you are. I don't know about you. This is the day to seek God with everything inside of you. How many hear what I just said? I know it's late on a Wednesday night, but you need to hear it. You got something in your life. Ephesians 5, Paul called it, called it spots and wrinkles. I mean, just go to God. Maybe there's a certain area of your life, and everybody's got an Achilles tendon, Achilles heel, so to speak. Some area of life, it just... You know, that's a temptation to you and you yield to it over and over again. You got those areas of life. Now's the time to say, God, and I, you'll find grace. You'll say, God, I don't want that in my life. I've been doing that all my life. I've been doing this, been saying that, been yielding to that. Forgive me and help me. I don't want that in my life. If you'll do that, God will, God will hear you. And if you humble yourself, how many know God will answer? Yes or no? Boy, uh, you want to be doing that in these days. So again, verse 12, Revelation 22. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now again, unbelievers, there's two judgments. Let me mention it again. There's the judgment seat of Christ, and then there's the great white throne judgment we talked about in Revelation 20. No unbelievers, no believers are found, I'm sorry, at the great white throne judgment of God at the very end of the millennial reign of Christ, because those people, they died without Christ. They died without salvation. And once you die without salvation, there is no purgatory, as the Catholic Church teaches, and there is no way that you can pay a priest X amount of money to get you out of purgatory and into heaven. Friends, there's nothing in the Bible that says that. Your only chance for salvation is while you're in your physical body. It's appointed unto man once to die, Hebrews 9, 27, and after that, judgment there is there's there's no up there's no in between and so again um you know uh so he says uh, i come to give everyone according to his works unbelievers they're judged by their works because they thought their works could get them into heaven but rather on the other hand believers don't go we don't go to heaven because of our works we go to heaven because our faith in christ right but in eternity we're rewarded for our works after salvation so if you think it it doesn't matter that you're just saved so as by fire just by the hair of your chinny chin chin you know like the little pig by the hair of your chinny chin chin well you might want to think about that because when you get to heaven you, you, you want you want to say jesus i gave it my best shot when i tried right and then there are rewards and awards in heaven that are quite awesome so he says to give to man, every man according to his work. I'm the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end, the first, the last. Um, God is the God of creation, the God of restoration. Uh, he started everything. He ends everything. In fact, I've got a physics book. I like physics for some crazy reason. 
And this guy, he said, he said, um, he said, he said, everything started literally with, uh, and he had a big old one whole paragraph of an equation he made. Everything started, boom, it was. And then everything ends with boom, and everything in between. It's between this boom and this boom. And he said, I figured out this, this beginning and this end is God. He is the beginning, he's the end, and he's the in-between. He's everything. Is that cool? Anyway, uh, b- verse 14, Blessed are those who do his commands that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. I want to know about that tree. Is it going to be cool to say, God, can I take a bite? Go ahead. But then he says, verse 15, but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. And so again, only those who obey Jesus will be in that eternal city called the New Jerusalem or the Bride of Christ. So again, we see dogs as sweet little pets. And, you know, our pets in America eat better food than most people in third world countries. We spend billions of dollars on pet food. And if you could see the people that I've, I've met in places I've been who eat not as good as dogs in our country. And so dog is a, a euphemism in Scripture uh, for um, spiritually unclean things. And dogs were unclean in the Middle East in Bible days. And I've seen some pretty haggardly looking dogs in certain places I've been in the world. Because other places don't think about dogs the way Americans do. So when you read in Scripture, outsider dog, well, poor little dog, invite him in. No, he's not getting in the game. you got to understand. It's meaning something totally, totally different. So again, outsider dog, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, those who love and practice a lie. Again, the idea there is you're not going to... And now again, uh, John's audience here is, um, you know, uh, he, he wrote seven letters to churches in Revelation Two and three, so I think the main audience that was probably reading this letter were believers, and he was basically saying, "Make sure you're cleaned up. Make make sure you're worthy to enter that city, and you really are a believer." And then there's one other little caveat here I want to mention. So it says, "Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter in to the gates of the New Jerusalem." Okay. Uh, but outside are dogs and sorcerers, etc. What, what, another reason he, he may have said that that came to my mind again today, and, and it's really shocking, and I just learned this a couple of weeks ago as I was studying, Isaiah 65 seems to indicate, and we'll read to you a second, that uh, we're, we're in eternity, and we're in the New Jerusalem 1,500-mile cube, and then the nations of the world are all around. There's no water, no seas, just dry land. And then the nations of the earth are coming for the, for the tree of life and they're going to eat the leaves, you know, monthly and such. And, uh, but when you're going into the city, meant several Bible expositors, and I'm going to read Isaiah 65 again, seem to indicate going into the city, let me say in the city of Jerusalem in Bible days, there was a valley called the Valley of Hinnom, and that was the trash dump. That's where the refuse was. And when Jesus said where the fire dies not and the worm is, uh, the worm, the, the worm is always eats and such, 
He's talking about that valley of Hinnom. There were fires burning in that valley where the refuse for the city of Jerusalem was dumped. And that was, um, that was, that was Jesus referred to that as what hell would be like. It would be an inferno of fire. And then he says outside the city. It's right outside the city of Jerusalem. And here's the shocking thing, y'all. I'm going to say it again. Isaiah 66, 22, listen. As surely as my new heaven and earth will remain, God told the prophet Isaiah, so will you always be my people with a name that will never disappear, says the Lord. All humanity will come to worship me from week to week, from month to month. See, all the nations of the earth come back. And as they go out, watch this, as they go out, go out of what? This, the new Jerusalem. As they go out, they will see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. For the worms that devour them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. It seems to indicate that in eternity, going into the new Jerusalem, there's a window, there's certain places you can look down into the, obviously the center of the earth and see the souls of those who refuse Jesus in this life. And you'll see the terror on them. You'll probably, unless they repent, see some people that I could name their names today who are liars, who are public liars, who hold public office, and they're doing things to harm and hurt people. Did you hear what I said? A lot of your politicians, you'll see politicians that we know. I could name them right now. You'll see people you watch their movies. You'll be, see friends. You may see pastors who were in it for the love of money and fame. You may have relatives and friends. You look down in there, you see their faces in the flame. It's a shocking thing when I read that, and it was quite sobering. Dake's, uh, Dake Genesis Finning's Dake Annotated Reference Bible, Dake Study Bible. He said this, all flesh, all fl natural men on the earth will be permitted to look into hell at certain openings. Obviously, right outside that city is what we're reading here in Revelation 22. And see the punishment of rebels forever as a perpetual warning against sin and transgression. Don't forget, you don't lose your free will just because you go into that city. So God has an uncanny way of reminding everybody, look what happened to those who disobeyed and never repented. I don't know about you, but I want to live right. How about you? I want to repent. And my friends, I want to encourage you, if you have friends and relatives that don't know the Lord, you should pray for them every day to come to salvation and ask God to send labors across the path to share Jesus with them. Ask God to open up their hearts to Him. We should be praying and asking God to use us every day. How many hear me? Nobody wants to be there. Would it not be shocking for you to live in that new city and look down and see some of your relatives that you never prayed for never witnessed to, never shared anything with. I don't know about you. I don't want that hap to happen to me. Do you? Anyway, so he says, verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to these things in the church. I am the root and offspring of David, the bride and morning star. These are some of Jesus' messianic titles. I've got a bunch of scripture here about those. I'm not going to read them. Verse 17, and the spirit and bride say, come, and let who, he who hears him who hears, say, come. And let he, him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life 
freely. I've got some commentary stuff I'm not going to read there in the notes, but the bottom line, he's talking, I believe he's talking to believers there. He said, clean up your act. Get yourself ready to meet me. And make sure you say you really, that you really know the person you say that you know. Make sure that you really do know me. Because Jesus said, not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those who do the will of his Father. So a lot of people, he said, that, that will say, Lord, you remember when I did this, when I did that, when I preached the word, when I cast out devils, when I healed the sick? And Jesus will look at them and he said, depart from me. I never knew you, you who work iniquity. So again, so I think as when he says the spirit and the bride say, come, they say, come again. Uh, let him who thirsts drink of the water of life. He's saying, make sure you clean up and make sure you're ready and make sure you're a real believer. My concern today as we conclude, we have a lot of people who say there are believers in America who are not really believers. A lot of people that go to church whose lifestyle has never changed. And you, you know, if you've had an experience with Jesus, I just can't describe the humility it brings to your life. It breaks you. I mean, when Jesus comes to your life, and you see who you really are and see how nasty you are without him and how vulgar and bad you are without him, there's a breaking that takes place. If you've never had that breaking in your life, never felt the weight of your own sin, and if you can continue to do what God says is wrong and live that lifestyle, you may have never been saved. There's a lot of people in churches today all over the world, particularly, I believe, in America, who go to church, it satisfies conscience, but their heart has never changed. So, you know, search yourself and prove yourself and make sure that you're a believer. And that's the encouragement as we conclude the book of Revelation. God's not willing that any should perish. How many hear me? That all should come to repentance. You know, we need, I wish every pastor would say what I just said to this congregation. Did you hear me? I went a long time to church, and I thought I knew the Lord. But I was smoking pot. I was lusting after girls. I was doing things I shouldn't do. Uh, I, I used God's name in vain. I'm ashamed of how I lived. But I sang hymns on Sunday. I did good works with my youth group. Y'all, I didn't know God. And I was fooling myself. Again, we've got, we're living in an era of time that the margins are, are, are smaller than they ever have been. And if you're going to walk with God, you might got to make a choice, I'm going to walk with God, or you'll just be consumed by the atmosphere of this life. How many hear what I'm saying? Then he ends the book. Here it is. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. And so, again, uh, there are religions such as the Mormons who have the Book of Mormon. How many know that's, that's a terrible thing? That's a lie from hell. Did you hear what I said? Jehovah's Witness, they've got the other gospel of Jesus Christ. My friends, that is condemned by Scripture. There's only one book we see as the Bible. You're not to add to it. You're not to take from it. I, I won't even touch them. And 
people that come to my door knocking on my door wanting to give me pamphlets. I rip them up. They never even go in my house. I'll take the pamphlets so nobody else will get it. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. Anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues written in the book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in the book. He who testifies these things says, Surely I'm coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. That's where we get the word Maranatha. It means come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. I think 1 Corinthians 15 sums it well. Verse 24. After that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power, he being the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ must reign until he humbles all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say, God has put all things under his authority. Of course, when it says all things are under his authority, that does not include God himself who gave Christ his authority. Then when all things are under his authority, the Son will put himself under God's authority so that God, who gave his Son authority over all things, will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. I don't know about you, but it humbles me again to think that God loves us so much that he wants us to live in a city where he lives. And he wants us to partake of his presence in an unending way. I think it's a very special thing. Do you know Jesus? Are you born again? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Is your life clean? Are you ready to go? Or are you being tempted by the adversary and lured away by the things of this life? I've never seen people more preoccupied in my life and I've never seen the world as dangerous as it is today. My friends, today is the day to seek the Lord while he may be found. <laughs>